As I thought about today, the uh, couple things sprang to mind. One was that this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I am a big sports-watching fan, not participating fan. I've already shared that with you a while back, but I love to watch sports. And uh, I actually had an interview on Super Bowl Sunday one time, and I tried to get it changed, but they just didn't quite get it, so I turned down the job. <laughs> but it's not about me. It's not about me. I, uh, so it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I go to this passage, and you're not aware of it yet, or maybe some of you have been reading about it, and, and I read in it that it's Sabbath laws. We've already talked about Sabbath laws. It's, it's talking about, you know, celebrating God, and then it talks about, you know, this strange passage about don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, and then God says, I'm going to go into land and kill everybody so you can move into it. And I'm like, Rod and Jackson, why did you give me this passage? But again, it's, it's not about me, is it? And I get up here before you, and you know the things that go through your mind, you know. Do I have anything to say? Do, are people really listening? Is, is God really going to speak? And, and all the things that well up in your heart and well up in my heart as I approach us, and it's really us, it's not me or you, but it's us, that I go, it's not about me. And to really to die to yourself in order to live for Him is really a unique thing that God plays out in our lives. And I love this quote that uh, David shared with us last week. The grace of gradual illumination. He shared with us that God is about gradually illuminating Himself in our lives, gradually illuminating who He is and what He's doing, and gradually illuminating the fact that we are deprived and ruined and destroyed without the grace of God. So again, it's not about me. It is about Him. It's about Him. So what we're going to try to do this morning is we're going to try to look at this passage, Exodus 23, 10 through 33, and we're going to look at it in two sections and try to pull it together and hopefully apply some of the principles that we can pull out of this to our lives. Start in verse 10 of chapter 23 of the book of Exodus. You shall sow your land for six years and gather its yield, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest in life fallow, so that the needy of your, pe- the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave, the beasts of the fields may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from your labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave, as well as your, uh, as your stranger, uh, they may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard and do not mention the names of other gods, nor let them be heard on your mouth. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time in the month of Abed. For in it you came out of Egypt. And none of you shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. 
Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor the fat of my feast to, to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God, and you are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Great. Interesting fact that I found out this week, as I kind of studied and looked at some different things, the Amazon River is the second longest river. And the mouth of this river is approximately 90 miles wide. Or actually, some people actually say it's 150 miles wide, and then some people actually say it's almost 200 miles wide. I guess it depends on where you're standing when you take the measurement. But it's big. And the amazing thing about this river is that as it flows out into the ocean for about 200 miles, it produces fresh water. Now, what is amazing about this is that in ancient times, sailors would be sailing in the ocean and they would get thirsty and they would drink all their water and they would run out of water. And specifically in the Atlantic, near the mouth of the Amazon, They would end up there and other boats would drive by and they would be kind of waving people down saying, we need help. We need help. What's going on? They say, well, we need fresh water. But what they didn't understand is that the mouth, this huge mouth of this river that produces fresh water, all they had to do was to take their buckets and put them down into the water and drink it up. And they would be taken care of. But they weren't aware of it. And I think that's kind of the picture that God wants us to understand a little bit as he shares with us these laws and these festivals. It's interesting as you think about it, you shall not sow your land for six years and gather its, you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave, the beasts of the fields may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. As people are getting ready to move into the promised land, God is saying, you know what? You're going to have fields. You're going to have vineyards. You're going to have olive groves. And I could just imagine, imagine a couple guys at the very back. You know, there's a million people here. There's a couple guys at the very back going, is this where we're going to plant? Because it's kind of dusty out here. God, God, where are you taking us? They're looking around going, you're making these promises, Lord, but where, where are we going to do this? And God says, you shall do this. And I want to care for you, and I want to care for the people around you. Don't try to manipulate the land. Don't try to ruin yourself. Don't try to ruin your animals. Don't try to ruin your slaves by working them to death. Take the day off and trust in me. Six days a week you're to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from your labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest. Your son and the female slave may rest, as well as the stranger may rest and refresh themselves. God's heart is that we don't work ourselves to death. He's really trying to get across this attitude of rest in him. I know you're going to have to work. I know you're going to have to take care of yourselves. I know you're going to have to produce. But don't think it's by your work that things happen. There's a book out called Collapse by Jared Diamond. And if you like to read, which I don't, uh, it's a good thing to do. This is a great book. Um, I actually haven't read the book. I actually listened to the tape. So 
but it's called How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed. And in this book, he talks about how societies, when they start to gather and start to grow, is what do they do in order to help produce crops? What do they do in order to make sure that they're going to live? And the very thing that they do is they gather themselves some idols and they start to worship idols because they believe the idols will help them. If we bow down to the idols and worship the idols, they'll take care of us. But God says in verse 13, Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard. Do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Why is that mixed up with this Sabbath law? Because God wants to make sure that we understand it's not by our manipulating gods that he's going to produce crops and that we're going to be taken care of and that our life will go well. Interesting thing that he says here, he says, do not mention the name of other gods. The thing that I thought of when I was reading this is that, okay, this is, it seems to me that he's saying, when you're by yourself or when you're working in the field or when you're out on your own and nobody else is around you, don't secretly go, you know what, I'm going to really trust in these other gods. I'm going to be by myself, but I know I'm, not going, to, I'm going to act differently when I'm with other people, but when I get by myself, I'm really trusting in these other gods. So don't even mention them while you're working, while you're doing things. When you're by yourself. And then look at this. It says, Do not let the, and, and nor let them be heard from your mouth. When would it be heard from our mouth? As only as when we're gathered around other people. So when you're by yourself, don't trust in them secretly. And when you're around other people, don't even mention it because really they're worthless. And he starts this idea of being on your guard, keeping watch. Make sure that when you start to live out the life that I've promised you, watch over it. Because something might happen, and that something is you might be tempted to trust other gods. So I want you to work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And that's how you're to worship me. And not only will you worship me by working and resting, but I'm going to establish this three, uh, this three festivals every year. Three years you're to celebrate a feast to me. And he mentions three feasts. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of the, uh, of the Harvest, the First Fruits, and the Feast of the Ingatherings. He doesn't go into any detail in here. Earlier in Exodus, he went into detail about uh, the Feast uh, of the Unleavened Bread. But the idea is that these feasts come at a time not prior to planting, which most pagan people would say, okay, before I plant, I'm going to worship God and trust him for the produce. But these feasts come at a time at the harvest time, at the end. God says, I want you to trust me, and then when you see me work, I want you to respond by celebrating. When you see me do what I've actually told you I'm going to do, rejoice. And then we get to these... I'm not going to spend a lot of time in those three festivals. Um, basically, I mean, they're, they're, they're great festivals. The Feast of the uh, Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Harvest, and the Feast of uh, the Gathering. Really, it's, it's really about celebrating who God is. It's a Feast of the Atonement. It's the, it's the, the Passover when, um, when God passed over the people. They're celebrating God. You did not destroy us. 
It's you took care of us. You're always with us. You're watching out for us. And then he goes on to these strange verses. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with unleavened bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain in, uh, overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil in the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Interesting thing about the Old Testament laws is that they're not exhaustive. Can you imagine if God was exhaustive in all his laws? I mean, we'd probably have thousands of these books rolling around that we'd have to study. God's law, when he wrote it, they're not exhaustive. It's a word called paradigmatic. It means I'm giving you a sampling of what possibilities might be out there, and I want you to be wise in understanding that you can pull principles out of what I've already told you. So he gives us these four strange laws. Don't offer blood with unleavened bread, because what, would, what normally would happen is that pagans would take blood because they believed blood to have life in it, which they were right, blood is life. They would believe that if they drank or ate this blood, they would actually get more life. And so God says, you know, don't be like them. And don't even put it in bread, because what people would do is they would put it in bread to be more palatable. They would eat it. Don't do that, because you're trusting in blood. You're not trusting in me. Don't let the fat remain overnight. Give it all to me. Don't withhold. Don't think that by keeping some back, you're going to be able to watch over yourself and protect yourself. But give it all to me and trust me for the next day. Because what would happen is that pagans would hold some back because, you know what? We're taking care of these gods. We're not quite sure who they are, but we're going to hold some back just in case they don't come through. But God says, no, I'll always come through. You shall bring the choice fruits, first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. Amazing thing about this little verse is that basically if you brought a wounded lamb to the altar, everybody would know. I mean, if you brought a three-legged animal, they would know that's not your best. Okay. But what about your fruit? What about your harvest? I mean, they wouldn't know if you left some back or if this was the best of what you got. But God says, no, I need to mention this to you. Don't withhold your best. The choice. Bring it to the house of the Lord for an offering. And then you're not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother, which is a very strange verse. We, they don't really know what this has to do with. So um, for me trying to fit it into our context, I'm going to take a guess at it by what I read, is that basically the idea is that uh, pagans believe that mother's milk held within it life because when the kid would drink from it, they would grow and produce. And so what the pagans would do is they would take a uh, kid, they would take the milk that had been boiled and the kid would be destroyed in it, and they would take that milk and they would throw it out on their land or they would throw it over their cattle, trusting that that would help them produce a better crop or a better flock. And God says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. And really the idea, I think, behind this is God is coming to those people and saying, you know what I want from you? I want celebration. I want you to celebrate what I've already done. I want you to know that I want to care for you. I want to lead you. I want to move in you and be a part of you in such a way that you could never try to manipulate on your own. But what does God know about us is that we always kind of default back to manipulation, don't we? 
well, I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to see how I can get this going. I'm going to see how I can change things and how I can get God on my side. And sometimes we even do this with our sins. We're like, okay, I'm not going to do these sins because I want God to bless me. So uh, if I stop doing certain sins, then God has to come through for me. Sometimes we even think that, that we can manipulate God and we then treat him like an idol. But it's not about me, is it? So many times we think it's about me. We think it's, what am I going to get out of it? What's, what am I going to benefit of this? How is this going to help me? You know the amazing thing about this section? is it's, The whole idea behind this section is corporate worship. No, nowhere in here does it say individually somebody come and worship me. It says all of you come and worship me. I've heard this phrase a couple times. There's a couple of phrases I've heard, I've heard a couple of times. One that really gets, my, gets me is, uh, which really has nothing to do with this passage, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, the, 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 the phrase that really gets me is that, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. Have you heard that before? It's easier to ask for What manipulation? You know, what, is that the way we treat God? Is that the way we treat people? Well, I'm going to commit this sin anyway because it's easier to, you know, I can ask God to forgive me or I'm going to go ahead and do this. That's manipulation. The other thing that I, always, I hear at times is, you know, I don't really need to go to church to worship God. I don't need to go to a gathering to worship God. And you won't find in the Bible a verse that says, you shall always gather with so many people on a certain day. But what you do find is that God says, you cannot worship me apart from all my people coming together. There's an aspect about worship that it is corporate. And if we ever think that we can do it individually and on our own away from God's people, we're mistaken. Now, I don't give that to you for those of you that have spouses or family members that say that as ammunition. You can't go home and say, hey, this is what they said in church today. So you got to go. That would be manipulation. It's like the lady. We had a lady at the church I used to serve in. Great, great couple. Uh, elderly lady sat in the back, but the pastor would say something, and she'd nudge him and say, Do you hear that? You need to know that. You know. It's like, Jessica, you're beautiful. You know. But I believe the whole idea behind this is trust in God. He's going to do something. He's going to take care of you. Maybe not in the way you want, because it's not about you. It's all about him. Don't try to manipulate him. Well, why? Why don't we manipulate God? Because in the second half of this chapter, he tells us that he is already about our well-being. He is already about our prosperity. He is already about you and I growing and gaining him. So let's turn there. Verse 20 of chapter 23. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to send somebody to guard you. You don't have to manipulate me to do it. You don't have to ask me and beg me over and over, but I'm going to do it. And not only is he going to guard you, but he's going to bring you. It's not like he's going to push you. He's going to bring you. He's going to lead you by your hand. 
and he's going to take you <clears throat> to the place that I have prepared. I've already done something for you. I've already prepared something for you. Again, be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious, rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. Don't treat him lightly, but worship and honor him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Prezerites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jezebites, and I will completely destroy them. I'm going to take care of you. Which brings up an interesting question that I can't answer. Is that why does God kill people? I don't know. There are some answers in the word, but sometimes we just have to say, I don't know, Lord, why you do that. But he says, I'm going to take you to a place. 24, you shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their uh, sacred pillars into pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There will be, there will be no one miscarrying or burden in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. God says, I'm going to lead you as a people, not as an individual, but as a people. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to move people out of the way that are your enemies so that you can go into a place that I've prepared for you. And when you get there... Worship me. Don't worship their gods because you're going to be tempted to worship their gods. But don't do it. Worship me alone because I want you to know what it's going to be like when you get there. You're going to have an abundance of bread. You're going to have an abundance of water. Nobody will be sick. You know, No one will miscarry in the land. No one will be burdened, barren and burdened. And I will fulfill the number of your days. It's almost like God knows exactly what he's already put in our hearts that we long for. We long for long life. We long for good experiences. We long for the ability to reproduce. And I'm sure in this large group there's been women in here that have, that have gone through miscarriages. And the devastation that you go through when you realize, you know what? There was a life, but it is no more. And God says, I'm going to take care of that. So I'm going to do this for you. And then verse 27, there's another I will. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among you whom you come to. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Why should you worship me? God says, because I know you. And I'm not going to take you to a place where I'm going to destroy everybody so that you go in and then you have to deal with other problems. He says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to deal with things little by little so that you're able to handle them. You're able to deal with it and that you can trust in me and that we can walk together and move into this. Because if I just went in and took everything out, it would get destroyed again. But I know the situation. I know what's going to go on. And I know you're going to take possession of that land. And verse 31 says, I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. 
for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will dry and you will drive them out before you. You shall not make a covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. God says, I'm going to take you to a place. It's going to be a big place. I've prepared it for you. And again, when you get there, be on your guard. Don't make a covenant with the people because they're, they're, the way they worship, the way they deal with things are going to be a snare to you. So how do we put these together? How do we put these together? I think part of it is the reality that we think that we can manipulate things. And we can't. We get frustrated. We get disappointed. And we forget that there's this vast river around us like the Amazon, and it's called God, that we can take our bucket and dip into it and drink of the river of life. We think that God's not really got our best in mind sometimes. God, do you really know what you're doing? Do you really know what's going on? But he says, I will. I will. You know, the Israelites really didn't do very well with this promise. You know the rest of the story. They don't trust God. They worship other gods. They take matters into their own hands and they don't fulfill the possession of the land. And as we look at this passage, we have to understand that we really can't take this as a one-to-one ratio. God's not going to move us into a land, is he? But he is moving us to a place. And if you turn to Revelations chapter 21... Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from among the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among us, or the dwelling of God is among us, and he will dwell among us, and they, sh- and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Well, doesn't that sound somewhat similar to what God wants to do with his people? It's that he wants to move us to a place where we do experience him. Unfortunately, at the present moment, we're not there. We're not at this new heaven and new Jerusalem. So what do we do? I think we'd be on our guard. I don't know if you know this, but all around us are temptations to turn us away from the Lord. Things that are around us that we really think will provide. Remember when Jackson taught about have no other gods before me? 
It was about things that we look towards that will provide satisfaction or security. There's all things that are going on around us that we think, you know what? Money might really take care of me. Sex might really take care of me. Position, power, career, those things that we've already talked about, those things might really take care of me. But we had this guy named Jesus. And as he walked along the earth, he says things like, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. That sounds very similar to this spirit that was moving amongst the Israelites. And Jesus also says, you know, I don't do anything of my own. I only do what I see the Father doing. Trusting in the leading. I think that moves me to say, we, as followers of him, trust in what he's already said. I'm going to prepare a place. We're going to a place. And he's given us an example of looking to the Father to trust in him, to watch him. To seek after him. So if Jesus gives us an example of entrusting himself to the Father, I think that's a good example to follow. But I came across this verse this past week as uh, we were in our staff meeting. Open up to Acts 20, verse 24. Paul is leaving the Ephesians and he says this almost a throwaway verse because there's a lot of great stuff before it. But he says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Well, Paul, how did you get there? How did you get to the place where you really didn't consider your life of any account as dear to you, but that everything that you did was because God called you to do it for his ministry? And I think Paul would say, you know, I learned it over time. God's been gracious. God's been good. He's been faithful. I've been disobedient. I've taken things in my own hands. I've done things my own way. But God is still the amazing forgiver, the gracious redeemer, and loving me. And then I turn and I say, well, what does this passage really say to me? Let go of trying to manipulate things. Let go of trying to make things work your way. Let go of trying to have to be in control and to trust that he has a plan for us to enter into. You know, this past week I've had to repent of trying to control my own life. I've had to repent of thinking that I could do it on my own. The reality is that mankind is full of unrighteousness. And if we don't recognize that, then we don't have a good footing. So with that, I'd like, you to ask, I'd like to ask you, is there anything in your life right now that you think, you know what, Lord, I really need to repent of this manipulation? 
Lord, I really need to repent of, of trying to manipulate things. I've been trying to manipulate you. I've been trying to manipulate my life. Maybe I'm trying to manipulate others. But I haven't really been worshiping you. Letting go. Trusting you. Or maybe something you need to repent of is that God has been asking you to do something and you've been holding on too tight to other things to really enter into his, his ministry. Father, you call us to rest and renewal in the midst of work. You ask us to celebrate you in worship because you've already got a place for us, a promised land. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you're taking us there, and we thank you so much. Father, we do repent, not just individually, because it's not about me. It's about you, and we want to repent and say, Lord, we really falter at times. We really forget, and we fail to worship you. But we thank you so much that the blood that you shed takes care and wipes away all of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.